Welcome to Quirky, Creepy, and Freaky, a podcast where I tell you about wonky animal facts. I'm your host, Olivia, and each week I will share with you a different weird fact from the animal kingdom. So for some timing updates now that week one in the semester is over with my newly acquired adjunct position, uh, we will indeed be shifting to having episodes every other week, at least for a little bit between still working with the state and getting ready for teaching every week, I've really only so far had like one or two days left in the week to really get the podcast together, and that's not a whole lot of time to still put out a well-researched episode. So the thing that I had apparently done for myself, which was real nice, is I had already done a little bit of research when I had first picked the episode for this week. So to sum that up, we'll have an episode this week, we'll skip next week, and then the following episode, or the following week, keep an eye out for the next episode. And then, as I kind of get into the swing of things, I would like to get back to weekly episodes, but there is a chance that we will be at the every other week frequency for the next three months while the semester is going on. But if any changes happen, I'll let you know, so you'll know when I know. And now for this episode this week, we are back to the fun world of parasites. There are a lot of parasites in movies that take their inspirations from nature, and the xenomorph alien parasites are one of them. There are a few different parasites in the natural world that may have inspired the chest-bursting aliens. Two of them we've already talked about, the parasitic wasps or parasitoid wasps that lay their eggs in and on other bugs, the larvae eat the host, and then we also have the nematomorph worms. Then they grow within their bug host and emerge when they manipulate the host behavior to find water. And if you haven't listened to those episodes yet, feel free to go back and do that. A third group of parasites that we have yet to talk about have similar sorts of lifestyles, but are actually a planktonic organism, so you can find them floating throughout the ocean if you're lucky. So today we will be talking about little crustacean amphipods within the group Phronema. Phronema is a genus of small, transparent, deep-sea amphipods. Amphipods are related to and kind of similar to things like little shrimp and isopods, so they're kind of little shrimpy type dudes. Phronema live in the deep ocean sea during the day, and then at night they join a whole bunch of different planktonic organisms in a daily migration towards the ocean surface. They're pretty small, but the biggest and most abundant species, Phronema sedentaria, can get up to about 4 centimeters long. They eat quite a few things, and their transparency helps them blend into the surrounding ocean and sneak up on their prey. Granted, not all, of their, not all of their prey have developed eyes to really see approaching predators, but hey, anything to help launch a sneak attack. So not all of their prey are targets of the parasitism, so their normal regular prey would include things like krill, arrowworms, and other crustaceans, and then the gelatinous zooplankton, and it's these uh, gelatinous guys that often serve as the hosts to these amphipods. So real quick, we'll talk about some of the gelatinous zooplankton, particularly salps. Back in episode one, we talked about ascidians, which belong to the subphylum tunicata, so tunicates. Salps are also tunicates. They are just clear, barrel-shaped, gelatinous critters 
that float through the water. Wood's hull kind of describes them as looking like a transparent tube of jello, and they're really not wrong. Oftentimes around here, around the coast, on occasion I'll see salps washed up on shore, just an individual salp, but they can also grow in pretty long chains and form colonies. So for the makeup of a salp, they have an, a living organism kind of internally, and then to protect that they have a sort of clear gelatinous membrane outer layer. So keep all of that in mind, and we'll switch on back to talking about phronema. So if these amphipods eat the salps, where does parasitism come into play if salps are prey? So this is because the amphipod does not just eat the salp. Once an individual has found a suitable salp target, they cut into the salp and then eat the animal inside the barrel. So essentially, they're carving away at the insides of the animal until they're just left with an empty gelatinous barrel, and then the phronema hang out inside the hollowed out shell of its prey. One perk that this gives the amphipod among several is that living in the barrel will slow its sinking rate. When you are a tiny little planktonic organism, you're not necessarily the most efficient of swimmers, and there's only so much control you have in your location within the water column, but for the most part, you can control where you are, but swimming takes a whole lot of energy and you're constantly fighting to keep yourself from settling towards the bottom of the ocean. So if you can find ways to slow your sinking rate, it's very helpful. However, the amphipod also spends a lot of energy having to move around the additional barrel. So even though it's saving energy by um, increasing its buoyancy, it actually, as a kind of a net energy saver, it's really not saving a lot, but hey, it's sinking slower, so it keeps it in a better position to access other prey. Another purpose for living in this barrel is to provide a nursery space for the next generation. So not only does it eat the body of the host and live inside its hollowed out shell, it also uses it to raise its offspring. The female releases larvae into the barrel-shaped host, and then the young arrange themselves on the inside. The mother amphipod will bring food to the young, but in some cases, the barrel itself can be used as a food source. So as an advantage of this parental behavior, which is fairly unusual within the amphipod world, the Phronema amphipods will have fewer offspring than other amphipods because uh, more of their offspring survive into adulthood, which is one of the benefits of parental behavior. The larvae develop within the snazzy, cozy barrel home until just before maturity, and then they will go off on their own to get their own barrels. So it can be, since these guys live in the open ocean, it can be hard to find and study Phronema, so there are plenty of questions that are still unanswered. One is that we know that uh, both or that male phronema will parasitize and hollow out selps, and not just the females. So a few things that we don't know about this, we don't know if the male is using this as a way to try and attract a female by bringing her a potential pre-made nursery space, or if it's strictly for the benefit of buoyancy and some amount of protection, from both from predators and the surrounding environment. We also don't necessarily know why this behavior came up in the first place. 
One running theory is that since relatives of Phronoma still live on the ocean floor and you can actually find amphipods if you visit some like rocky intertidal areas moving around some algae, you can find your own amphipods. And then ancestors of Phronoma would have also lived on the ocean floor, so what we think is that living inside the salp would mimic that benthic ocean floor lifestyle. And this was one of the ideas uh, that's similar to the little planktonic octopuses we talked about that like to hitch rides on jellies a few weeks ago. So again, the Phronoma can be hard to study, but these are some of the still running questions that we would eventually like to answer. And to round this out, we have a bit of a short episode this week, but parasites and parasitoids are fairly common in the animal world, but what's a tad less common are parasitoids that live fairly long-term in the dead, hollowed-out shell of their host. This is particularly not super common amongst planktonic organisms. However not common they are, though, here we will leave you today with the Ed Gein of amphipods. Thank you for listening to today's episode, and be sure to tune in to the next episode in a couple of weeks. Please rate and review on iTunes. It helps other people find the podcast. And you can also find us on Podbean, Amazon Music, and Audible. There are a couple of ways that you can help support the podcast. You can share us with somebody you know that could use some more animal facts in their life, which is definitely everyone. And you can also become a patron on Patreon. Uh, You can find the link for that in the description below. You can also find the podcast on Instagram now, so give it a follow at Quirky Creepy Freaky Pod. And if you have a favorite quirky, creepy, or freaky animal fact, send it on in at quirkycreepyfreakypod at gmail.com. Audio editing and recording is done by me, Olivia Strait. The intro music was created by Kaylee Strait. Thank you for listening.